Hi there, Jeremy. Hi, Neil. I'm doing fine, thank you. I hope you are as well. Good. Yeah, no, it's turned chilly, honestly, here in Vancouver today. So I've got my nice wool thick socks on for this podcast, but it's doing pretty well. And then the other half. And we've had some quite hot weather recently, but today we had a massive rainstorm this morning. So it was lucky I, didn't. I wasn't wearing my wool socks. They'd be soaked through by now. But thank God, thank God, no one can see us. I think that would be a shocking This is the good thing about. Uh, the thing about podcasts, you only see people from the shoulders upwards. <laughs> indeed, indeed, indeed. Jeremy, uh, what are we actually talking about today? We're going to be talking about how to select your courses for the final two. And who is this specifically for? Is this? Yeah, it's, it's aimed really at uh, students going into the final two years of school. Okay, so. That, that means really students so that... who are in grade 10. Great. So that's the 15, 16 year old age group, depending on what system you're in. And it, it's one of those decisions that it feels really difficult, doesn't it? Because you're not really ready for this decision and yet it's a critically important one. It is because students who are 15 or 16 tend to feel a little bit anxious about this because at a certain level, they understand there's quite a lot riding on this decision because yeah. They need to be picking the right mix of subjects for those final two years so that it leads smoothly on to university studies afterwards. And I remember, I think I mentioned in the previous podcast, my, my daughter's uh, just completed that. She's just moving into grade 11. And I, I know that we spend an awful lot of time worrying about, should she take this course or that course or this course isn't being offered? So. I think it's a really important podcast today that will hopefully provide insight to a, a large number of students. But let's kick off. How important is subject selection for a, a, a grade 10 student going into grade 11? And well, subject selection is actually very important for a number of reasons. Um, first of all, at a, a rather more day-to-day -day reason, the student is actually going to have to spend a lot of hours studying those subjects over the final two years of school. So I think it's quite important that students pick subjects which they enjoy as far as possible. But the aspect that people normally focus in on is what impact does the subject selection have on their ability to meet the entry requirements for particular subjects at university? And we'll be drilling into that in detail later in the podcast, won't we? When we go uh, subject by subject. Yes, we're going to have a look at the the university sort of requirements for a selection of popular subjects. And what does a student need to do before embarking on the process of course selection? I think a lot of schools do a good job on this in terms of providing their students with information to help them. But I think the very first and obvious step for a student is to find out what courses are on offer at the school. I know that might sound a little bit banal, but clearly you need to know what the selection is before you start thinking about this. Every school offers different courses. Yes. I think that really you need to sort of talk to your, um, perhaps uh, the, the person in charge of subject selection, whichever job title he or she might have. If you're in an IB school, it would be the IB diploma coordinator. Other schools, they might call them head of sixth form, person responsible for grade 11 and 12, et cetera, et cetera. But it boils down to the same thing. You need to go and get that information from someone in your school. Right. And what about 
looking inside yourself, you know, before you go off and, you know, your mum's, I don't know, a, a doctor or your dad's a lawyer. And, and in fact, you know, the things you love may not be aligned with that uh, picture that may be being projected onto you. What, what, do you, what do you need to do in terms of a, a personal reflection before you go off and select those subjects? And as you've suggested, some students find themselves in the unenviable position of being pushed in a certain direction by their parents, whereas they themselves would rather go in a different direction. I would say this, that just because your mom's a doctor or your dad's an engineer doesn't necessarily mean that you, with your skill set and your interests, would make a good doctor or a good engineer, or indeed that you should even attempt this. I think a student should really start doing self-reflecting. It all starts with you because you are really at the focus of this process. And so you need to start thinking, you know, what are my priorities? What subjects do I enjoy? What would I eventually like to do? Now, the eventually like to do bit is relatively long way in the future and understandably you might not know yet, but you do have to think to yourself, you know, which are the subjects I'm good at. Most students have a very clear idea that they like this subject and they don't particularly like that one. And I think there's also a distinction that needs to be made between liking a subject and being good at it. Some students are really good at a subject. So, I don't actually like it that much. That's a good point. Some students, of course, are good at all subjects. And yes, and that's a particularly challenging mix. It, it is, yes, because they could, in theory, pick any combination of subjects and be successful. Or indeed, particularly, you know, students who are average at everything. That as well. You know, I don't think, yeah. you, know, you know, you know, where should a student start with this process then? How do we, we go from, especially let's imagine people who are relatively sort of evenly balanced, both in their interest level and their ability levels. Uh, how would you then start thinking about all this or that? I think that some students are in the fortunate position of knowing already, you know, 15 or 16 years old, what they would like to study at university. Now for that group of students is fairly easy process. You know what you want to study at university. So your task really is to go and have a look at the entry requirements. So go onto a few university websites and see what subjects they require, and then make sure you select those for your final two years. Okay. And if you need help, what should you do? In our previous podcast, we listed getting help as the number one thing that every student should really uh, take seriously. So if you're concerned about this, you mentioned before the people who are organizing the courses for grade 11 and 12, but often it's friends and, and family, I guess. I think help and, and influence comes from a variety of sources. I, I would say this, just go and lock yourself away in your bedroom and read lots and lots of opinions on a, on a student forum. I think you need to get out there and talk to people, talk to your parents, obviously, talk to your teachers in school. And of course, you can also talk with your friends and find out what experience they have or ideas. At the end of the day, it really comes down to you and what you want. But you do need to go through a process of discussion with others because it will certainly help you focus in on what we hope will be a successful. And are there any mandatory subjects obviously this varies depending on the curriculum that you're studying you know, british national curriculum against the ib against yeah. the u.s star curriculums but is there anything that you could sort of identify as being mandatory 
you're quite right. The, the, the different curricula here obviously offer or require you to take a different number of subjects. If you're studying in a British A-level system, you're probably only going to do three, maybe four subjects. In the IB, you'll be doing six or seven subjects. The American high school diploma system could be any number in theory. But there are one or two common denominators that run through this. Most systems will require you to have mathematics and English. And certainly universities will want to see that you have reached a certain level in English. And particularly if you are not a native speaker of English. So those are really the two key subjects, I would say. Yes. And English is a, a critical matter. As you said, I think almost every university will require that level. If you're in the situation where you can't really evidence your English within the subjects you're studying, is there a, another route you could take? Yes, because universities will require you to prove your level of English. For two reasons, really. The obvious one is that they want students studying at university who can actually follow the course, their English language skills are good enough. And for a lot of countries, the UK is certainly one of them, they will require some formal proof of English before they'll issue you with a student visa. I know that when you're 15 or 16, you probably haven't given visas a thought. You might not even have heard of something called a visa. But eventually, if you go and study in someone else's country, you will need to get a visa. Now, there are other options available. There are recognized tests of English language proficiency if your high school English course isn't fully recognized by universities. That's good to know. Maybe we'll take a look at some of those things uh, later on in another podcast. There's a critical question that I think you probably get asked, you know, students who feel they ought to take a subject, but they actually either are no good at it or they just don't enjoy it. And often those two are linked in my experience. You know, how should they proceed? You know, is it the right thing to do? That's an excellent question. Students who are heading down the road towards selecting a subject, which they probably don't like very much or not very good at, I sort of stop and ask myself, why are you doing this? What, what is the purpose behind this? Now, often the purpose is that they feel they need this subject in order to make a good application to university. Clearly, there are lots and lots of limitations here, but I would say that if you are going to take a subject which you're not particularly talented at, maybe don't enjoy either, I think there has to be a really good reason to do that. And the only good reason I can think of is that a university requires it for entry. Otherwise, it seems rather pointless to spend the last two years of your school probably studying for hundreds of hours, something which you probably don't enjoy and you could have invested that time in studying something else. I think there's another issue here as well, which is, especially if the subject is related to the future study course that you're thinking of, you, know, you need to reflect on, if you don't enjoy it now, you may well not enjoy it later. That's a very good point. I, I often have conversations with students who they tell me that they want to take a, a higher level mathematics course, and it's quite clear from their grades and teacher comments that they are only, let's be kind, say, averagely talented at mathematics. So I say to them, look, if you're struggling on a mathematics course during one or two years of school, can you imagine what it's going to be like when you get to university, where it'll go to a much, much higher level and probably a much faster level as well? Uh, the question is, 
do, do you really want to do this? Can you keep up when you get to university? Most high school students don't really look beyond the, the application. I need maths to get in, and if I've got it and I get in, all will be well. But you also have to look beyond all this because when we're talking about choosing your subjects for your final two years of school, you're going to be doing that obviously for two years. But what about the years afterwards? You have to think ahead a little bit. Do you really want to pursue this, this uh, subject at what is obviously a very high level at university? And do you have the interest and the talent and the ability to do that? And, and these are all questions that need to be thought about carefully. And take a look the other way around. Maybe you, you yeah. want to study a subject uh, uh, in, in grade 11 and 12, or maybe even that you're required to uh, study a subject because the university is asking for it, but your school doesn't offer that subject uh, uh, or that precise subject, what, what should a student do in that scenario? Because smaller schools inevitably have a more restricted range of subjects because of the whole staffing issue. Yeah. They don't employ such a large number of teachers and therefore they can't offer such a broad curriculum. But nevertheless, if you are in one of those schools and you really need to take a particular subject, I would suggest that you go and talk to your IB diploma coordinator, your head of sixth form, your person in charge of grade 11, grade 12, because there are some excellent online courses and a lot of schools, especially smaller ones, have a mix between face-to-face -face teaching with their in-house teachers and also offering students the ability to take some subjects at least in an online form. This has been around for some time, but of course, during the last couple of years with COVID, we've all become accustomed to the idea of working online. So it doesn't really seem such a big leap anymore. Indeed, I have some personal experience here. Yeah. My, my son took an online B diploma course. Unfortunately, the experience for him was, you know, close to negative in that the personal interactions weren't strong enough for him to feel involved in the learning and involved in the subject. And I think you know, students need to be aware that uh, you know, having a teacher, even if you might not like them that much, does give you that face-to-face uh, -face interaction, which is incredibly important often when it comes to deepening understanding of a, of a more challenging uh, concept or, or area. Um, and uh, so it's a question of getting the balance right um, from, from my perspective. There's another scenario that we probably should talk about, which is teachers not recommending that you study a certain subject. You have in your head, you want to study a course. And one of the course requirements is that you need to study course subject X or Y, but the subject teacher, for whatever reason, doesn't recommend that you do that. How should you go ahead in that scenario? Different schools, of course, have different processes to help students navigate their way through this course selection. And a fairly common scenario is that the IB diploma coordinator or head of sixth form, head of the grade 11 or 12, will get information from the teachers. And one of the pieces of information that they ask teachers to provide is this student suitable to study this subject at a higher level? at a standard level or not at all. Now, we're really talking here about a student who has fallen into the not at all category and yet still wants to study subject X during the final two years in school. 
Now, there are all sorts of reasons why the teacher may or may not have recommended students not continue with the subject. And so I think it's important to go along, if you're a student, go along and talk to the teacher and find out why you didn't get a recommendation to continue into the final two years of school. And there could be many reasons. The teacher might have just glanced at the grade book and saw that you didn't have a complete set of grades. Again, we all know there are many reasons why behind that, perhaps illness set you back and prevented you from really showing what you can do. Or else the alternative is that you could get a, a private tutor during those final two years to support you and thus enable you to be successful in the subject. This is a conversation you're going to have with your school because it is important, particularly if you've set your heart on studying the subjects and then maybe going on to university to continue that subject, or at very least that you need that subject to enter university. So I think the answer really is go and talk to your teacher, have this conversation and find out what lies behind and try and elicit some feeling about whether you actually have this potential to improve and, and, and to manage the subject during those final two years. And in my experience, often the decision perhaps to, to go against the recommendation is actually a, a strong motivator to, to strive for success uh, for a student. You know, teachers know their, their students well, their current uh, ability levels, but students, when they are highly motivated to, to achieve goals, can achieve an awful lot. Yes, indeed. A lot can change between making those selections, which probably take place during semester two of grade 10, and actually heading towards the end of your school, you know, moving through into semester two of grade 12, two years older, two years more mature, hopefully even better motivated and, and certainly working hard. So hopefully this whole issue will have a positive outcome for you. Yes. Let's look at, you know, a couple of months later, you've selected your subjects, you're in there and it's like week three or two and you go into the class. And you get that horrible feeling in the pit of your stomach where you realize, oh my goodness me, I have chosen the wrong subject, right? And, and I desperately know this uh, experience personally. Um, I decided not to study art at A-level. I was in the UK curriculum school and decided for a weird reason that I was going to do German and realized four weeks in that it was a, a critical mistake. Um, <laughs> So what, what do you do when you sit there with that feeling, oh my goodness me, what am I doing here? Why have I done this? What yeah, of course it does happen because there is a certain amount of hit and miss in selecting the subjects for your final two years of school. We've just been talking about sort of self-reflection and looking at what you need for universities, et cetera. But at the end of the day, it can and does happen when the student winds up in, in a class that they think, oh. This was not what I was expecting. Now, you're, you're, you're all familiar with, with, with the usual subjects like English and mathematics and science subjects because you've been doing it for years and years in school already. So you know more or less what you're getting into. But what happens if you want to go and do a subject during the final two years of school that's not offered in grade 10 or grade 9? Something like economics or psychology, maybe. Those are typically subjects which are only offered at the very top end of the school. Now you've heard the word psychology, or you've heard some people say, oh, that teacher's really nice. I enjoy the class. 
These are reasons why people select subjects. But sure. what happens when you find that it's the wrong subject for you? I would urge you not to delay. Go and talk to the IB diploma coordinator, the head of sixth wall, whoever's in charge, and find out whether you can switch courses, switch subjects. I say don't delay because you can understand that the further into the course you go, the more weeks that go by, if you do switch subjects, the more catching up you've got to do in the subject that you switch into. So this is really a matter which is dealt with. Time really is of yeah. the essence in this uh, uh, moment. And, and schools, uh, if it's the second week, people are prepared to listen, in my experience. Yeah. Uh, if it's the sixth week, then the conversation gets more difficult. You know, it really is every day, every class missed when you're dealing with a two-year course is pretty critical. Yes, it is. There may well be other reasons which mitigate against changing something as, as simple as the other class is full. A lot of students set a cap on the number of students allowed in each class, typically maybe 20, 24, something like that. And if the class is filled up. There's no empty seat for you to move into. I know it's not a very academic reason, but nevertheless, it does play a role. I would urge go in there and have this conversation as soon as possible. Right. And in the end, of course, it goes back to, to, to forward planning, doesn't it? In that, you know, there are the core syllabi available. You can go and talk to the subject teachers. Often schools will have introduction programs if their subjects yeah. students have not had experience of before. And so it, it is particularly critical to make sure that you don't end up in that situation. Yes, you can obviously go online and you can look at the syllabus and see what units you'll be studying over the two-year program. But I think it's also useful to actually go and talk to some of the 11th and 12th graders and, and find out what they have to say about the experience because they were in your shoes a year or two earlier. And I'm sure they also went to speak to those who are a little older than them. And the other thing that you mentioned that I'd like to sort of spin back around to is, you know, the reasons why people make decisions. And you mentioned, oh, you know, that's a lovely teacher, or I really like this person or whatever. Is that a good enough reason to choose a subject at, uh, at uh, grade 11, grade 12 low level? Um, it, it is a good reason, but I wouldn't say it's the best reason. Uh, I think um, when you're prioritizing your subjects, uh, if, if you know that you have to have certain subjects to enter university, then clearly you're going to have to take those subjects. But a lot of students don't really know what they want study later on at university. So therefore, potentially they're looking at all of the subjects on offer and they're trying to set themselves some priorities. And if they've already worked with a teacher, they have a good rapport with that teacher and they feel that's a good teacher, then that is certainly one of the reasons to select that particular subject. Now, we did talk a little earlier about those students who know what they want to do at university. But the biggest category of students, I think, is those that really don't know. Um, and why would you, if you're only 15 or 16, there's such a bewildering choice of coursing and universities here. Yeah. I think that if you find yourself in this position, first of all, don't panic. I have students come into my office and they say something like this. Oh, I'm all stressed out. All my friends know and I don't. So I just say, look, 
I interview everybody. Trust me, most of your friends don't either, even if they tell you they do, because you're still very young. And I think that if you find yourself in this position, and there's a good chance you will, then I think you have to look at this process as one where you try and take a broader program of subjects in the final two years of school and try and keep as many doors open as possible. So that two years down the road or a year and a half down the road, when you come to apply to university, you are able to apply to quite a different range of academic programs within the university. I know it's not an ideal science and you probably will close one or two doors, but try and take up a broader spread of subjects, which will offer you those opportunities later on. Yeah, that's really good advice that I think. The other thing you mentioned peripherally was friends and friendship groups. And I know certainly a little bit lower down the school, often a motivator for choosing this course or that course is because my best friend is doing it, you know, because I, it's two years of my life and I, I want to spend some time with my friend. We talked about the teacher being a significant factor in choice with good reason. A friendship groups a reason as well? I think from my perspective as a mature adult, I would say no. Although from the perspective of a 15 or 16 year old, I can understand why that might play a role. I, I would say to you, if you are a 15 or 16 year old uh, watching this, that if your best friend's doing a subject, you don't necessarily have to sit with that person in the classroom. After all, you have a lunch break and after school and all the other times that you can spend with him or her. And I think really you should discount this whole, my best friend's taking that class scenario and go, go for what you want. Who knows? You might even make a new friend in class, but that lies in the future, obviously. Yeah, and I think it's a really important message to say, you know, there comes a moment where, you know, you have to think about you and, and in the end, these last two years, the 11, grade 11 and 12 years are transition years. And one of those transitions is understanding that friendship groups change and, and priorities change as well. Um, thank you, Jeremy. I think that's a great overview of, of, of uh, the kind of things you need to think about. In the next section of the podcast, we're going to take a look at specific subjects. And we're going to do that with the lens of the IB Diploma Programme. Um, taking a look at the, the subjects uh, that are most studied. So thank you for that. So in this section of the podcast, we're going to be taking a look at that sort of subject by subject approach in terms of the subjects uh, that you need to study in order to make sure that you meet the requirements of the university courses. We're going to focus in now on IB diploma students, which is Jeremy's main focus of expertise. Let's kick off with psychology. What do you need to study grade 11 and 12 if you want to go to university and study psychology? A psychology, I, I heard, is it's the, one of the most popular university courses offered. Isn't it, it is correct? correct. We've seen a huge increase in the number of students applying to psychology courses uh, at the universities around the world. But to answer your question more directly, when you are selecting your subjects for the final two years of school, clearly some schools are offering psychology as a school subject. And if they are, then please take it at higher level. 
Beyond that, there are no particular requirements for psychology in terms of the other IB subjects that you will need to select. Although just be aware that there are some psychology courses at university which are quite math intensive. So if, if you have some idea about which universities you might apply to, it's probably worth checking on their website to find out if they have a particular mathematics requirement. But beyond that, right. if, if you have the chance to do psychology in school, do it, but don't worry. If you don't, universities recognize that the majority of schools don't offer psychology and therefore you can apply without having previously studied the subject. I think your comment about mathematics is a good one. Now, people often underestimate yeah. the amount of math in psychology and certain branches of psychology are extremely statistics and maths-based, are they not? Absolutely. I, I actually did a, a psychology course through the British Psychological Association about 15 years ago now, and I hadn't touched mathematics since I was in school. And I was just an averagely normal math student, and I was actually quite shocked and challenged by the level that I had to reach in mathematics. My, my, my youngest son is a math genius, so I could just ask him. And he kindly said, oh, dad, it's easy. And to be fair, it was easy once someone explained to me how to do it. But for you sitting there, don't underestimate. Some of these psychology courses really have a lot of mathematics. Like most math courses, it's easy when you can do yes. it. Yes. <laughs> and, and talking of another subject that uh, has a lot of maths buried in it. Next one I'd like to look at is economics. What kind of course expectations are there for students who wish to study economics? Well, my comments for psychology pretty much reflect my comments for economics because economics is again a subject which is not taught or offered in all schools. If it's offered in your school, then take it at a higher level. Um, and beyond that, you would need to have a little look to see how much mathematics is involved in your particular economics course. A lot of universities, you can go with a regular standard level mathematics, but there will be some universities that will absolutely require high level IB mathematics. And London School of Economics, for example, that's a very top university and they are very demanding. So the, the more highly ranked universities tend to be the ones who are more demanding in terms of the level of mathematics they require. And a subject that's closely associated with economics, but is actually pretty different, uh, is business studies. Uh, again, another really popular course. What are the expectations there? I love business studies where students come into my office and say, I want to study business at university. What IB subjects do I need? I just smile and say, take your pick. You can do anything you like. Uh, because most business courses don't make any requirements other than the fact that it is a top university that wants top grades. But in terms of subject selection, you can do anything you want. However, and then there's always a however in there somewhere. If you then take a business course that's focusing in on finance or accountancy, then obviously you're going to have high level maths. But beyond that, you have free choice of your IB subjects. And business studies is a good backstop course for, for students who are generally sort of good at many things. You know, we were talking earlier on about that large number of students who don't really know what they want to study. If you're getting to the place in grade 11 where you're still not quite sure, business studies is actually a, 
a very good place to be, isn't it? Because it's so generic and applicable to so many different professional careers. Yes, it is, because you are going to hone and develop a lot of different skills when you're on a business program. And these skills, transferable skills, as the name suggests, you can transfer them into many different careers, many different areas of work. A lot of students go to university and study a particular subject. In this case, we're talking business. And then they go off and work in some unrelated field because they have the skills and talents which a potential employer would like to foster and develop for the benefit of his or her company. So let's move to exactly the opposite. Medicine. Medicine, when you go and study medicine, the chances are you're going to become a doctor or a medical researcher or, or something in that realm. To study medicine, what subjects are, are really required? Medicine is a nice one. It's a fairly narrow and predictable path through school and into med school or university. Students will absolutely need to be doing high-level chemistry and higher-level biology, although there are one or two places where you could get away with standard-level biology. But because medicine is such a competitive course at university, I would recommend that you do both higher level chemistry and higher level biology so that you don't set yourself at a disadvantage in what is already a very competitive field. And maths? Is that, is there a requirement for high level math or a standard level? Okay. Yeah, that's an interesting question. I often get asked, people assume that I'm going to need to do high level mathematics. Actually not. Uh, standard level maths will be just fine. Right. And provide you with a little bit of relief from the higher level chemistry and physics. Yes, indeed. Law is another area that is very specialized, although its paths are many and various to study law. And many IB <laughs> students who want to become a lawyer are confused about how you do that and what subjects you need to study. Could you shed some light there? Yes. Law degrees are, are actually quite broad in the sense of the subjects that they're looking for from a potential applicant to university. This means that you can take pretty much any mix of subjects in the IB diploma program. Now, having said that, if you imagine what studying law actually entails at university, there's a lot of reading, a lot of analytical skills come for a lot of writing. So if you can take at least one or two subjects in your IB program, which require you to write essays and read original sources and analyze those sources and get uses of skills that you're going to be needing later on at university, that would definitely be a plus for you. The, but and those kind of courses would be history, global politics, English, of yes. course. Those kind of subjects. Yeah, and also subjects like, I mean, you mentioned history and English, global politics, subjects like economics, you do a lot of essay writing, geography you do as well. Um, it doesn't matter too much, just so long as you have that sort of skill and practice in structuring a, a written argument, really, is, is, is what we're saying here. Another specialized area is um, engineering. And it's, again, it's one of those areas that's often misunderstood. Engineering is such a broad field. In fact, it covers a huge range of, of different subjects. What should students be aware of when they're thinking of applying for an engineering course? If a student knows for sure that he or she would like to do a specific type of engineering, like chemical engineering, for example, then obviously high-level chemistry. 
most students at the stage when they select their IB subjects have a, a more general interest and passion for engineering. So they go into a, a general engineering program or mechanical engineering program. And for that, you need to have high level mathematics and high level physics. But having said that, there will be one or two universities that might take you with standard maths and higher physics or vice versa. Now, if your passion for engineering develops later on during grade 11 and 12, after you've already selected your IB subjects, and for some reason you didn't quite make the right level like you took those two subjects at standard level, don't despair because most universities, engineering universities, have what they call a foundation year. And this is where you go into a foundation year, it's the year before your bachelor degree starts, and you sort of make up for any deficiencies you might have in terms of mathematics, science, etc. So always not lost if you didn't quite make the right decision when you were still in grade 10. And I think um, the other thing to throw in about engineering is take a look at the spectrum of courses that are covered uh, from sustainability through to chemical engineering, through to through mechatronics, there's a yeah, huge yeah. range of different courses that, that, that have, you know, a really broad spectrum of skills, abilities, and also interests involved. If, 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 yeah, um, yes, could I, I just uh, add one more comment on this? If you are thinking about engineering, the chances are that you have a, a, you know, a rather general idea what engineering is, but I'm quite sure that you probably unaware, as Neil was saying, of the huge range of different types of courses. Now, what I suggest to my students is go onto a university website, engineering department, and then just scroll the page down and you will be astounded at how many different engineering programs there are, most of which you've probably not considered or perhaps not even heard of. Um, so if you want to sort of shortcut this process and you're listening to this, go on to the University of Southampton in the UK. They have a huge engineering section and there you will have your eyes opened as to the multitude of different engineering possibilities that you could follow. And, and another tip and trick is of course, pretty much everybody thinks of applying for, you know, mechanical engineering or the standard engineering course. And so the, the demand for those courses is very high, but as soon as you look down that list a little bit and enter into something that's more niche, yeah. uh, all of a sudden the applicant against place ratio changes enormously, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And because um, most engineering programs have a fairly generic first year at university before going off to specialize, you might want to follow Neil's advice and consider applying into a more niche area. Have you considered marine engineering? Of course, it's all about Indeed. building ships, for example. Most of you probably haven't considered this, but you would gain all of those engineering skills that you would get on a, a regular mechanical engineering program. Plus, of course, you would then go on and specialize. But a big university with a big engineering department has a lot of flexibility in terms of the different units, the different electives that you can take. And I, I certainly also know that once you're in the department, of course, the ability to move around within that department and change your degree course is far easier. And engineering is one of those areas where, you know, there can even seems to be a clear path, but if you're a little bit creative and you do a bit of research, maybe if your grades aren't quite where they should be or where you would like them to be, you can still find a way through and a way in. Yes. Related courses. 
uh, another big area. Again, often misunderstood. Uh, they go from sort of pure programming right the way through to often graphic design for, for, for gaming or user interface design. But generally speaking, IT-related courses, what are you going to need to do to study at IB diploma level to get in? It depends at which end of the spectrum you are. I guess the more sort of programming, mechatronics area, then clearly high-level mathematics is key to this. If you want to go more to the sort of the, the design area, the more creative area, um, you're still going to need to be good at mathematics, probably higher level, but although some places would take you a standard level. And then you might want to add some sort of creative subjects, um, art, for example. Um, but if you are in a school where they offer the computing as, as one of the courses, then by all means, go ahead and take that. But a lot of schools don't have it per se as an IB subject, but you need, don't need to worry about it too much. As I say, you really need to focus on taking a high level mathematics course to prepare yourself to apply to university. Um, and talking about the other side, you know, visual art courses, again, nowadays they sort of swap over into that IT realm as well, but imagine uh, visual arts courses. What kind of things do you need to study at IB Diploma in order to ensure that you have the best chance of accessing what are possibly very competitive courses to go into? Yeah, visual arts courses are quite interesting at universities because we talk about other subjects and a lot rests on your grades. Yeah. If you want to get into this university, you need to get sort of 35 points or 45 points. But visual arts, they focus on other aspects of your application. They will most part require you to pass the IB diploma and they're not really too fussed whether you get 24 or 30 points. What they will be looking at, however, is your portfolio. Now, this is the key to entering a visual arts program. In your school, if you take art as an IB diploma subject, you will be spending quite a bit of time putting together a portfolio and you will have the help, guidance and advice of your art teacher. And so I would obviously recommends, if possible, to go and take arts in the IB program, preferably a higher level. No, yeah, no, I think it's, it's one of those things where we're very different, isn't it? Uh, and you could probably add in music and, yes. and some of yes. the other creative courses in that category. Yes, because... Um, Finally... Yes, yeah, I wanted to say that you, you mentioned music and theatre is, is another good example. Yeah, uh, for theatre, you'll be... We're doing an audition, uh, so you need to be sort of in the groove, practicing your theatrical skills, if you like, and on, on a regular basis. And again, you have the help and advice of the drama teacher in your school. Now the, the last uh, broad category of subjects are, are science-based subjects. Uh, uh, we've mentioned engineering, we've mentioned uh, uh, other science-related subjects, but you know, um, there's a broad range of, of science-based subjects. Uh, how uh, how do you need to approach uh, selecting your, your IB diploma subjects? Of course, in the IB diploma, you can take two science subjects. That's two out of the three traditional science subjects. So you need to have some idea about which direction you're going to head, head for at university. Obviously, if you're doing something like biomedical sciences, biochemistry, etc., you're going to be doing high-level biology and high-level chemistry. Um, this also begs the question as to what level of mathematics you'll be taking. Yeah. Some of the universities require high-level maths and some don't. 
Um, it's a very mixed picture, but I would suggest that if you are heading down the science route, then you need to be doing two high level science subjects. And probably if you're certainly aiming mm. for, for a, a, a known university, mathematics as well. Yes. It, it would certainly be a good idea, um, but as I mentioned, there are universities that will take you with standard maths, but the higher level universities, they have so many applicants, they have to sort of uh, weed them out somehow. And by raising the, the bar for applicants, like in this case, demanding high level mathematics, that's one of the way they approach the task of recruitment. So Jeremy, have you got any? general advice for parents or students who are confronting or looking at this area, you know, words of general advice that would uh, serve these students in good stead, what would they be? Yes. I think one of the most important things is to take your time over these decisions, rush into them. Don't try and get it done, you know, just over a weekend or during the lunch break at school. You really need to go out and talk to people, get information. Think carefully about where your priorities lie and also uh, try and play to your skills. Try and pick subjects that you're good at and that you will enjoy and that will lead you on to a successful university career. Wonderful. Thank you, Jeremy. And uh, what are you going to be doing after recording this, Jeremy? It's a little after seven o'clock here in Vienna where I'm sitting. I think probably the next thing is to run in the kitchen and make myself a three-course gourmet dinner. Yeah, she's a pickle tonight, isn't it? I had cheese sandwich yesterday, so I thought I might branch out a bit and have, I know, peanut butter sandwich tonight, really. <laughs> but, but I think that maybe for our next podcast, we could do one of those sort of cookery ones, a really popular book. Maybe I not. Really, I really <laughs> don't. That's, uh, that's the right idea. We've got loads more uh, really exciting stuff lined up for the next podcast. Uh, and really excited to set about really exploring these ideas. Thank you so much for your time today, Jeremy, and look forward to the next one. Thank you. Ple pleasure as always.